Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. So around 10.15 last night, I had almost fallen asleep which I was really excited about because the struggle is real right now with sleep deprivation. You know, because I have this baby and all that jazz. So when I was jolted awake by the sound of the refrigerator being open, I was like, what is going on? You know that annoying noise that your refrigerator makes after it's been open for way too long? So as I closed my eyes, the noise went off again for the second time. And I thought to myself, I am going to get up if it goes off for the third time, which I believe is a record for the refrigerator being open that long. And sure enough, several, several seconds later, the refrigerator dings again. So now I am up out of bed because the baby's room is closer to the kitchen and I did not want Kingston to wake up, given that the annoying loud refrigerator noise woke me up further down the hall. And sure enough, when I get to the kitchen, it's my husband Alex trying to make a late night dessert treat with basically no ingredients because we don't have any dessert or treat items inside of the house. And what he ended up making as a treat was almond butter, bittered, unsweetened, dairy-free chocolate chips, and a little bit of monk fruit. Not really my idea of dessert. So I asked him early the next day how it was, and he just made this kind of face that his late night snack wasn't really worth making. But he felt like he had deserved something because he had such a long day earlier that day. Now, how often does reward eating or emotional eating or even boredom eating happen to you at night? I know it happens to all of us at one point or another. Now, one of the things that Alex and I have noticed over the years is that late night snacking, especially when it becomes a habit, which you know it can easily become one, leads to our metabolism slowing down and the scale climbing. So we rarely ever eat food after 8 p.m. and ideally we're trying to eat earlier around 5 to 6 p.m. Now my big goal is to eat around 5 p.m. so that the window between my last meal and bedtime is over four hours, giving my body a great chance to metabolize my meal before bed and giving my brain that opportunity to really clean up shop while I'm sleeping. Now, despite my best efforts to be consistent with dinner times, at least once a month, we will have dessert in the evening, like on a date night or at a party when we're out. And I always feel the effects of too much sugar from the night before in the morning the next day. That feeling shows up as a sugar hangover. It feels like sluggishness, brain fog, moodiness, just this irritability that I have in the morning that I can't shake. Now, although I definitely know what a sugar hangover feels like, I didn't really understand what was going on with me on a physiological level until I started wearing the continuous glucose monitor back in May this year. And let me tell you, having real-time data on what you eat and how it impacts your blood sugar levels and your metabolism is an eye-opening experience. And it can be amazing accountability. Once you see how food greatly impacts your body literally every second of the day, Now, one of the most interesting things I learned is, although conceptually, I had known that I would deal with these sugar hangovers in the evening into the morning, when I saw it there, what was really fascinating was that if I were to eat dessert at like 8 p.m. at night, 
let's say I woke up and normally had blood sugar levels without a dessert around 75, 77 milligrams per deciliter. If I had the dessert at like eight o'clock at night, my blood sugar levels would be higher by like, oh my goodness, like 25 points. It'd be closer to like 100 milligrams per deciliter. And it would take me over 24 hours to recover from that dessert. And that was crazy because I didn't think it took us that long to really recover. At least I didn't think it took my body that long to recover. Now, I was really fascinated by this theory once I saw it for the first time play out and also knowing that we are more insulin resistant in the evening compared to the morning, I wanted to see if eating the same foods in the morning and then in the evening would have a really big impact on my blood sugar. And no surprise, my blood sugar was always lower in the morning than the evening, even though the food was the exact same. So for example, I'm gonna give you an example. One of the times so I tested it with a couple different foods, I ate a half a sweet potato for breakfast with chicken, and I ate the chicken first, and I'll talk a little bit about why protein first can really benefit you, and my blood sugar glucose jumped to 95 milligrams per deciliter. But then I ate the exact same meal the next day in the evening at 7.30 p.m., and my blood sugar glucose jumped to 130 milligrams per deciliter. That is a 35-point jump. And that's a big jump, in my opinion, from eating the same thing. And let's point out that this is not the worst food to eat to spike blood sugar, right? This isn't a cinnamon roll or a big bowl of ice cream. It was way higher than I imagined for chicken and a small sweet potato. And I knew that it would be a hundred times higher, but definitely much, much higher if I had dessert as an example of this. And it was definitely higher than I imagined. Now, mind you, this is how my body is handling this at the age of 40 with all of my previous circumstances and health history. So everybody's body is going to be different. And because I was really, really fascinated with this, I tested this on more than one occasion with different foods. And every time my morning blood sugar levels were lower than the night readings, eating the same exact food, because again, we are more insulin resistant at night due to the 24-hour circadian rhythm that we run every single day. And I have a feeling that especially for women 35 and older, we would definitely see a bigger, kind of a bigger disparity between evening meals and morning meals. Now for this reason, it's because we are more naturally metabolically active in the morning and during the day, and our bodies tend to go into storage mode at night when our bodies are winding down for sleep. So in a nutshell, for me personally, one of the worst things that I can do to my metabolism and hormones is eat late, especially eating desserts and carby foods. It is a recipe for fat storage mode in me. And I have seen that on the scale. Like when I have gotten into the habit of eating late night snacks, or like a little, little late night dessert, usually again, it's sugary or it's carby. Over a week or so, I would start to see the scale move in the upward direction because my body is literally just in fat storage mode. Now, not to mention, eating that close to bedtime can disrupt our sleep and force our bodies to continue to digest that meal instead of rest and repairing the body, including the brain, which prefers at least three hours between your last meal and sleep to go and clean it up. That way, the glymphatic system can go in and clean up any toxins and proteins that could be harmful to the brain over time, leading to things like dementia and Alzheimer's. And that's why today, of all days, I wanted to shed light on the impact of late night dinners and snacks and how they can have a profound impact on our blood glucose metabolism, insulin levels, and overall metabolic flexibility. 
especially as my body and my hormones shift in my 40s and beyond. The goal for me is to have as much metabolic flexibility as I can as I get older so that my brain, my energy, and my mood are very supported moving on. Now, I have been very, very grateful to be able to measure my blood sugar levels and connect to the Levels Health app. And it's been fascinating to watch how I feel throughout the day and how it relates to where my blood sugar levels are at. So for instance, every time I'm feeling super run down and really low energy and maybe irritable, hangry, it's correlated with very low blood sugar. Like when it's, And I've even gotten lightheaded on accident when it's gone around 60 milligrams per deciliter. That's definitely low, low. And every time I've been kind of like blah, sluggish, you know, headachey, brain foggy, that is oftentimes due to a high sugar spike as well. It just, you know what it feels like when you've had way too much sugar. You just don't feel good. Like you're kind of like out of your skin. So lastly, wearing the CGM, the Continuous Glucose Monitor, has brought me so much awareness about what I ate and when I ate, especially If I ate a little later than I intended, I definitely felt that impact. My sleep would be disrupted, and again, I would just feel more blah. This made me want to research more about the side effects of late night eating because if I was seeing a major spike in the evening, I knew that I wasn't the only one. So without further ado, let's jump in to the five surprising side effects of late night eating. So when you eat late, the calories you intake don't necessarily get digested properly. As a result, they are stored as fat in your body. That's literally what insulin is bringing your body into fat storage mode. Eating late regularly conditions your body to store calories as fat, which leads to weight gain. And this can also give you problems like indigestion and heartburn. So those who eat dinner at least two hours before bed have a reduced risk of cancer, diabetes, heart disease, even autoimmune conditions. For men, there was a 26% reduction risk of prostate cancer and for women, a 13% risk of getting breast cancer when they ate at least two hours before going to bed. So I just wanna just speak into some of the research that we've seen as we've studied this. So number one, no surprise, I've mentioned it already and I know you've probably experienced it or know someone who has, when you eat late, Your digestive system has to metabolize and break down your meal, which is a very energetic process. Even when you're asleep, it has to do this, which can affect deep sleep, causing restlessness and or sleeplessness. And lying down in bed immediately can lead to symptoms such as indigestion, acid reflux, and heartburn. I know so many patients have written into me really struggling with that. And basically, it's more commonly triggered by high fat and spicy foods right before bed or within that two-hour window before bed. So people who eat late dinners tend to also, I had no idea, I hadn't thought about it this way, eat more. And I think that has to do with just maybe we're just numbed out and we're not really focused. So when you're eating late, not only do we tend to eat more, but then we don't burn these calories off like we would in the morning. Instead, we convert them into fatty acids that ultimately increase the risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke. So those are the concerns around sleep disruption and really your body having to work overtime to break things down when you're supposed to be sleeping. Number two, as I mentioned this, it's poor digestion, right? When we eat later and our bodies aren't really utilizing this as fuel and we're trying to go to sleep or we are asleep, we're more prone to heartburn and acid reflux. 
which is definitely worth considering meal timing if this is a concern for you. Eating a late night dinner has been linked to these gastric issues caused by poorly digested foods, which may cause excessive acid in the stomach. This is why people are often advised to have a leisurely walk after their meal, especially the last meal of the day, instead of going straight to bed, which I highly, highly recommend. This is another great reason to eat early because it guarantees that you can go for a walk for 30 minutes after dinner, which will automatically lower your blood sugar and insulin response. And I have more on that in just a moment, but we have... I have tested this a bunch of times and so I try to do a 30 minute walk after dinner or a 30 minute walk after a big meal because I watch in real time how your muscles get activated and they bring in that glucose and so you don't have as big of a spike as you normally would. So and I always recommend and I think I'll talk a lot about this in just a little bit that walking at least 30 minutes 30 to 45 minutes is a sweet spot after you have that meal especially dessert if you can walk especially like if you're gonna go get ice cream somewhere like if you ever go to Italy and you're doing gelato which oh my goodness love gelato in Italy love the gelato in general but I'm always walking and eating gelato right I do savor it and enjoy it but it's a part of the walking Italian experience so just something to think about that's something I've done many times when I've been in Italy Number three, unhealthy weight gain. Now I have seen this in real time for myself. Again, your body has that circadian rhythm, this body clock that can be thrown out of sync if you eat meals at odd hours or late hours. And an out of sync circadian rhythm not only affects sleep and causes hormonal imbalances, but also will result in weight gain. And this is something that is super, super important for late night eaters to recognize, especially because so often when we eat at late night, we are not always making the best food choices, right? You're not usually eating celery or cucumber slices at 11 o'clock at night, or you're choosing a salad at 11 o'clock at night. You know, for me, when I'm eating late, it is rarely something healthy. And I think of it as it's the equivalent to going to an ATM past 11 p.m. because you are typically pulling money out for nothing good. Like, let's be honest, it's not to buy books or it's not to, you know, buy into a meditation or a health program. When we're pulling money out of an actual ATM at 11 o'clock at night, it's usually for some unsavory activities or behaviors. And now, due to the fact that your circadian rhythm, that body clock is, again, running 24 hours whether you like it or not, your body's metabolism is always going to slow down during the nighttime, and it's just not effective at burning calories as it is during the day. Even if you were to run or work out at night, definitely that would be helpful. Who wants to do that? Nobody. But it's not the way that our bodies are naturally made to work. And that's why I always talk about women. You're talking about what's the best time for us as women, especially as we get older, to work out. It's going to be in the morning because that's when your cortisol awakening response is at its highest. Cortisol is already at its highest, so you're not going to like burn yourself out. But also it's when we are in our most thermogenic state, so we're going to burn more calories. So amen to that. Number four, potentially will increase blood pressure over time. So a misaligned body clock, misaligned circadian rhythm may have some serious repercussions, including risk of heart disease and diabetes. Studies have linked high blood pressure or hypertension and higher fasting blood sugar levels with the habit of eating later in the nighttime and always having dinner way past the ideal of 7 p.m. And ideally even earlier if you can. And then number five, poor mental health which is fascinating because so often we are eating because we're having an emotional eating moment. We're having a reward eating moment, but this can lead to more mood swings and irritability, especially when you're sleep deprived. So if you are eating late night snacks and you're not getting good sleep, 
and you're having these crazy blood sugar crashes and raises, you're definitely gonna experience some anxiousness, irritability, cravings, brain fog, all this is gonna happen. And you also have a result in increased risk of depression and anxiety over time. Now this is long-term. A lot of these things are like the long-term concern. So in a nutshell, really these are the most common side effects from eating late at night at least at least one to two times per week, right? You know, if you're doing anything more than two times per week, we're definitely gonna start to see an accumulation of these side effects or these conditions over time. Now, overall, eating dinner early is gonna give your body more time to stabilize blood sugar levels, which plays a role in making you less fatigued and irritable. Now, if you are struggling with late night dinners and snacking, I wanna share some simple measures that you can take to prevent late night stacking. And I'm gonna give you some recommendations if you can't help yourself. So you can start by throwing out, this is always my recommendation, is taking a big trash bag and throwing out all the unhealthy snacks stopped in your kitchen cabinet and your refrigerator. And I'll tell you what, it eliminates the temptation. And this strategy works extremely well in our household. Hence, let's go back to the start of the episode when Alex was not really able to make a late night treat because there simply wasn't anything to make. Tell you what, that keeps me out of so much trouble when there is no temptation in the house, right? Because willpower is only gonna work for so long. And I have incredible willpower and focus and yet I am always gonna slip up if I know something is inside the house. Additionally, Ensure that you have a healthy yet filling dinner with 25 to 30 grams of protein. That's going to keep you super full, fiber, and a little bit of healthy fats so that you don't feel hungry close to 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, or midnight, however late you're staying up. Now, if you really want to go into fat burning mode and maintain stable blood sugar levels, avoid carbs, simple carbs in particular, and dessert at dinner. These are best in the morning or before 5 p.m. Ideally, plan for dinner to be the last meal of the day. That means cut out late night desserts or snacking. So that's it. Once you have dinner at five or six o'clock, the kitchen is closed for business, unless you're doing a tea or something like that. After dinner snacks usually consist of high calorie foods such as chocolate, ice cream, chips, bagels, whatever it is, which we eat because we're bored or we're stressed or we're having sleep issues or we are having mood issues or whatever that may be. It's usually because we are hungry for something else. So we end up eating those snacks without feeling hungry. So those calories that we intake are literally just stored as fat. And that's really the job of insulin all the time is fat storage. I know I've said that a couple times, but I just really wanna drill it in because especially at that time of the night, our bodies metabolically are not in favor of it. Now, if you must have a snack after dinner, here's what I recommend. So if you've had a really early dinner, like at 5 p.m., and you find yourself starving at 9 p.m., and you don't normally go to bed until 11 p.m., I'm just painting a scenario. What I'd recommend is focusing on more protein and veggies. These won't spike your blood sugar, not a lot at all, and it's definitely harder to store these foods as fat. It's still not great for sleep and for your brain to recover, but at least your blood sugar levels and your metabolism don't go out of control and you wake up with a crazy sugar hangover. Now, another strategy is to have a warm beverage like tea at night. Now, I've given this as a recommendation so many times, but I am loving right now a great turmeric tea or a decaf rooibos tea, and I use a little bit of unsweetened almond milk or macadamia nut milk, and this warm, cozy tea even in the summertime, satisfies 
any cravings, which I know isn't a food craving. It's usually a boredom craving. I deserve it craving. I really like need to soothe myself craving. But that's usually what it is. And so if I can find something else to soothe that craving, like a yummy tea or like a sparkling iced tea, well, then I feel so much better. I feel like I've given myself that little something, something, that little treat. Now, I want to share a couple of super sexy and important recommendations for stabilizing blood sugar before, during, and after a meal, especially dinner when we need the most assistance because, again, we are more insulin resistant. So number one, the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology found that eating a light dinner and a heavy breakfast also prevents obesity, high blood sugar, and also helps us to burn more calories. According to researchers, human metabolism is measured by a process called diet-induced thermogenesis. This can literally differ depending on the mealtime. So what the results showed is that a meal eaten at breakfast regarding of the number of calories it contained created a high diet-induced thermogenesis as the same meal consumed at dinner. And this is literally what I discovered by wearing my CGM, right? We are burning more of that breakfast food, whatever that is, than we are burning that evening food. Just goes to show that that circadian rhythm is we are in burn mode, like up until like three o'clock in the afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon, and then we start going into storage mode in the evening time. So again, still doing the intermittent fasting. Like what I've been trying to do is eat by 5, 5.30, and then not eat again until nine or 10 a.m., usually 10 a.m. the next day. And that puts me not only in a fat burning zone in terms of, but it stabilizes insulin levels, it stabilizes blood sugar levels. I can see it on the continuous glucose monitor. And it also allows me to have more stable levels at night and just feel like I'm in that fat burning zone. So that's what I've been doing. That way I still get my intermittent fasting in, but it just starts earlier in the evening and then I end it at a little bit earlier in the morning. That way I can have the bigger breakfast meal. And so I'm burning that off in a thermogenic state than if I have my bigger meal later. Now this was a major, major shift for me because I love dinner. I love making dinner. I love sitting down at dinner. I love all aspects of the dinner experience. I love the Italian. I think the Italians actually eat their biggest meal at lunch. But when I'm thinking about Italians, it's like the appetizer, the dinner, like all the different entrees and then the dessert and the coffee and the whole thing. Like that is like my ideal favorite kind of meal, which rarely, 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 rarely do. But always it was at dinner. And now I'm trying to shift that my bigger meal, my kind of sexy, bigger, heartier meal at breakfast time after I end my intermittent fasting around 10 a.m. So I wanted to share that with you because I am trying to shift that myself and it's a mindset shift more than anything because I just feel like I deserve a really big robust dinner when my body really deserves a really big robust breakfast and that I know it can be hard to wrap our mind around I've been working on that the last couple of weeks number two I talked about this a little bit earlier but I'm going to bring it up again walking after a meal activates your muscles to take in more glucose and stabilize blood sugar levels so walking 30 to 45 minutes is the sweet spot post meal like finish that meal and then get your booty outside you can handle the dishes and everything later on ideally dinner is the best time to do this do the walking since it's going to be the meal that goes into storage most likely if it's not burned off. But I also love for you to walk whenever it fits your agenda, getting where you fit in, walking in the morning, walking in the evening, maybe do two walks a day. I just love, there's so many great benefits to walking, but this is one of the biggest ones, especially after that dinner meal. Go take a walk for 30 minutes and you will see like a 10 to 20 point drop in your blood sugar levels because your muscles had to basically 
bring it all in, right? It had to take in more of that glucose. Number three, if you know you're going to have a meal with a lot of carbs or you're going to have dessert or whatever it is, take a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar or 500 milligrams of berberine 30 minutes before meal. Berberine is a supplement that you can buy, buy it anywhere. 500 milligrams of that 30 minutes before a meal and it will help to lower blood sugar levels. And there's a lot of diabetics, pre-diabetics that take chromium. I usually recommend, I think, 20 micrograms of chromium, 500 milligrams of berberine. My last two episodes, I break down all the supplements that I recommend taking for stabilizing blood sugar levels. If you already know your blood sugar levels are high or you never want them to get high, I do have a whole list of supplements that help to lower blood glucose levels over time. And then number four, eat protein and fat, especially proteins first before your carbs at any meal to lower blood sugar levels. So for example, if you're eating chicken, a little avocado, a salad, and a sweet potato for dinner, eat the chicken and salad with avocado first and then have the sweet potato. That is because the digestive system is trying to break down the proteins and fats, which will significantly slow down the process of breaking down carbs. Carbs are very fast to break down, especially simple carbs like crackers and rice and cookies, desserts, ice cream, and that hits the bloodstream like that really, really fast. But if you were to eat the protein and the fat first or the high fiber foods and then bring in the carb, your body is already trying to work through and digest those other macronutrients. It's gonna slow down the absorption of that glucose into the bloodstream. Number five, I already talked about this, but I realize it's a note here. So start your intermittent fasting as early as you can in the evening. For example, if you finish dinner by 6 p.m. and you wanna do a 13 to 15 hour fast, that lands you at 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. the next day. Or if you wanna go to a 17 hour fast, that's an autophagy fast, that would put you at 11 a.m. And that's where your cells are cleaning up any of the garbage and debris inside of themselves. That really kind of cleans things up and helps to ensure that your mitochondria are working properly. But a fat burning fast is a 13 to 15 hour fast, which lands you again around seven or nine o'clock in the morning after you stop eating at 6 p.m. at night. So you wanna make sure that you break your fast with protein and carbs in the morning. For example, a green smoothie or an omelet with some strawberries on the side. Basically have that breakfast, but make it metabolically boosting but have the breakfast because that's where we're already burning fat anyway. We're in that thermogenic state. It doesn't behoove us to skip breakfast. It behooves us to eat a lighter dinner. So I know I shared a little bit about the benefits, but what I wanna do really quickly is share my metabolically boosting routine that I shared in other episodes in the past. So let's say you eat dinner, you finish dinner at 6 p.m. and you are having breakfast at 8 or 9 a.m., right? You've done a 14 to 15 hour fast. So start your day again with five minutes outside to really fire up that cortisol awakening response and get those mitochondria humming and working for you so you have energy for the day. Then head into the kitchen, start with 16 ounces or more of my belly slim down water to help your liver, gut, and belly de-bloat and function better. So for this recipe, I recommend making it the night before or a couple nights before. You can have it for two to three days. It's a two liter glass jar, add purified water, squeeze a whole lemon in it. I love a Myers lemon, it's my favorite lemon. It's just got a nice sweet taste to it. Add 10 to 15 mint leaves and a whole sliced cucumber and a dash of cayenne pepper 
or ginger root, like a ginger root slice. So if you're feeling really spicy and wanna boost your metabolism, we know that cayenne pepper and even ginger root can boost your metabolism and help you burn an extra 50 calories per day if that's something you're interested in or you like that little kick. And then what I recommend for your coffee or your tea, swap out sugar for cinnamon. Cinnamon is amazing for stabilizing blood sugar levels. It's heart protective and it's a swap that I did, oh my gosh, over 10 years ago and I never looked back. I add, I think it's Saigon cinnamon to my coffee every single day. And then make sure for breakfast, again, this is that bigger breakfast, right? Instead of the big dinner, make sure you have protein at every single meal, especially breakfast no matter when you have that first meal. So this can be a protein shake or a green smoothie. It can be a three egg omelet with chicken and veggies, but you wanna aim for 25 grams or more of protein at each meal minimum to support your muscles and aid in stabilizing glucose and insulin levels. This is especially important for women as we get older because we lose muscle mass. So we've really gotta step up the 25 to 30 grams of protein at every single meal. Now, if you are thinking to yourself, okay, well, I would love to be doing all this, but I do not know what kind of food to be making. I have a delicious hormone. I got shakes, breakfast, dinner recipes inside of my healthy 14-day hormone recipe guide. Recipes like creamy raspberry chocolate shake, fresh pesto salmon bowls, easy turkey burgers, my sexy guacamole recipe is in there. So I'm gonna have my 14 recipe hormone loving guide in the show notes for this episode 290. I cannot believe I'm almost to episode 300. Woo! And I use these recipes every single week. I literally am having the fresh pesto salmon bowl tonight. I had the creamy raspberry chocolate shake this morning. I may have done raspberries and strawberries. And so this has made a huge difference in our health and metabolism. And how I wrote this guide was to help to stabilize your blood sugar levels and to help to support your hormones overall. So it will be inside of the recipe. And I want to say, as always, thank you so much for coming on and joining me today. I hope this was eye-opening. I hope this was inspiring. You know, I know how hard it is to break up with a late-night eating or late-night snacks or even late-night desserts. But when you think about the physiological process that happens in the body, we just become more aware and we start to make little shifts. So I hope that the recommendations I made later on in the episode kind of gave you some wiggle room. If you didn't catch them all, go back because those are some of the most effective ways to stabilize blood sugar levels, even in the evening time, especially in the evening time. And I just want to say again, thank you for listening in. You are part of the reason why we are well over 3 million downloads right now. And the reason why we are just having such a good time getting these episodes to many, many women. Coming up on Tuesday, I have a dear friend, Wendy Myers. She is one of my detox experts. We're talking about how toxic heavy metals interfere and deplete our hormones. So I love her episode so much because she talks about ways that we can consistently detoxify the body every single day which honestly in this world we're just at a place where we have to do that and she makes it so simple so i can't wait for you to listen to the tuesday episode until then have an amazing week